Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Before we uh, look at the Word, um, we just want to spend a few minutes uh, remembering um, Pastor Ed Henderson. Um, You may have heard that... uh, Ed had passed away uh, March 23rd, and uh, I don't know if you know a lot about the history of our church, but uh, the church, uh, he looks pretty young there, doesn't he? I was kind of thinking Ed always looked old to me, but he was in his 30s, right? So he's only 10 years older than me, but he always seemed to be uh, older. Um, but our, our church was founded back in the 1850s, if you can believe it, and uh there's basically been a congregation uh, and uh, worship going on here since then. And Ed came, I believe it was in 77, uh, 78. And um, so he was kind of the pastor of the mo- first pastor of the modern era of, of Faith Baptist Church. How many people here came to the Lord uh, when Ed was here? Um, He's always been my pastor. You know, your first pastor, maybe he's your, always your, your, your pastor in some way. And uh, uh, really the foundation of our, the work here today. Like even watching that video about what Doug's doing down in, in uh, what God's doing through the, the work in Pyrosfro, um It's just, that's an outgrowth of, of what uh, Ed came. Because when Ed came here, I don't know how many people were here, but it was like you could number them on... One hand and a thumb, maybe. And uh, he preached the word, and, and then most of those people left because uh, they didn't uh, like the word. Um, Ed was a great Bible teacher. Um, he gave us a love for the word of God. We, we kind of, you know, we had uh, Sunday morning, uh, then the Sunday school, uh, Sunday morning worship, uh, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. He taught all those times. And and when I got to Bible college, I was surprised how much I knew because he had just faithfully taught us uh, so well. Um, Ed was built like a... Look at, now, there's some, there's some old pictures. Who's the, who's the little guy there? Is that Davey? Was that right? Who's the young lady on the... I know, <laughs> it's full. Um, Ed loved us. I'm getting a lot of booming up here. Is that me, or is that what it sounds like out there? Exactly. Um, and uh, he married us, many of the couples uh, Ed did our marriage. He, he loved our children. I can remember when Marion's son, Chris, Chris was how old when, was Chris when he, when he went to the, the Lord? He was 11. And he was very sick for, for quite a long time. And Ed made a big deal. Of Chris, I can remember Ed making a big deal of Davy Jackson. Davy had a—he was sick a long time, his whole childhood. He had, and uh, and Ed just made a big fuss over these these kids. He, I, uh, Ed told me when uh, uh, when Jenny was little, you know, two three years old, he, she would creep up the back stairs and go up to his office to get a candy from him. Like he, you know, he loved kids, and kids loved him, and we really appreciated that about him. Um, Ed loved the outdoors, and he loved men. He loved reaching men. And uh, he reached a lot of men. Uh, I can remember the day I came to Christ, and uh, I, I went forward and accepted the Lord, and I had actually accepted the Lord at, in my home the night before, and, and so I kind of confirmed it. And, and then I went downstairs with Ed, and he grilled me. <laughs> and grilled me. And he asked me all these theological questions, and finally I said, I don't know, Ed, I, just, I believe it all. If Jesus said it, I believe it. And uh, that's kind of how... Uh, he wanted to make sure, um, because as they said, they, they were praying up a husband for Glenda, and then I showed up, so they're going to make sure that yeah, I got converted. I really got converted. He didn't want to get short That's right, yeah. Um, when we went to Bible college, and, and we had you know, no money, and I couldn't sell our house, and I was frustrated, didn't know what to do, and he just said, go. And... God just did a work in my life in, in a minute, that minute when, you know, Ed kind of lent me some of his boldness, and, and God just opened up and said, yeah, you can go, and you can trust me, and that was revolutionary in my life, and I always appreciated him for that. 
Um, we went to see them uh, this past February in Florida and spent uh, better part of a week with them. And uh, he's 75 years old, and you know he's kind of slowed down. Um, he was starting to forget things, and uh, he was starting to say things, and he was kind of not getting around very good, a bad leg, and, and he just kind of, you could just see him declining. And, uh, but, you know, we talked a lot, and, of course, he asked a lot of the same questions because he forgot that he was asking them, but he mostly asked questions about you guys. How's the church doing? How's this guy doing? How's that guy doing? You know, are they still going to church? He, and, and, you know, I really think that his ministry here, their ministry here was the most important ministry of their whole lives. That's where their hearts were, was, was here. Um, and I really think his death was a mercy of God because he was probably heading for a real decline. And then God just took him. You know, I think that was a real mercy. Um, I read some of the tributes that uh, people had put on the, uh, the obituary uh, site. And, um, you know, Jerry even put something on there about Ed's uh, courage. And that's what I admired about Ed. Um, he took a lot of heat. He was hated in this community for the gospel. I mean it. They hated him, and they threatened him, and they threatened his kids. And uh, you'd never think that today, that, that, you know, but that's the way it kind of was, because he'd come in, and he preached the gospel. And he wasn't, uh, you know, a flaming uh, hellfire and brimstone. He just preached the word. And the word either attracted people or, or repelled people. Um, but yet, what I admired about him most was he was very graceful and faithful in, in how he handled that. I can remember sitting in, in the office having a, uh, a board meeting and a guy came into the church building and uh, come up to the stairs and we were sitting there, uh, Keith and I and, uh, and Ed and, and a couple of other guys and, and uh, we asked him what he wanted. He said, I'm here to change the locks. <laughs> I thought he was gonna throw him out but he had said, no, you're not changing the locks. And, I mean, that's the kind of thing. You know, there was a group that wanted to take, supposedly take the church back. And anyway, he was just very graceful. He didn't kind of get riled up. Uh, he, just, uh, he just stood his ground. Ed and uh, Linda are, are a real vital part of our church heritage. And um, after 10 years of making disciples and enduring opposition, they built up the church. And then they really, at the, when the church was really getting going good, they, they left. They handed the reins over to Steve and Florence. Um, that's a really significant thing to do, a really selfless thing that they did because they believed that's what God wanted them to do. And uh, so it's a really kind of pivotal time in, in our church history. And, and uh, now here we are in 2019, and, you know, we're, uh, there's a new pastor coming to candidate. And so as we go into... Uh, Joshua 1, uh, those things have been on my mind uh, this week. Let's just have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for, for Ed. Thank you for his life and his ministry and his faithfulness. And, and uh, just thank you, Lord, that you took him how you did, when you did, uh, the mercy that you um, gave him, the dignity in that kind of dying. Um, we pray for uh, Linda and Wendy and Brad and their families that you would bless them. Uh, especially Linda, Lord, as she ponders probably what's, what she's going to do. Just pray you have your hand upon her. Pray, Lord, as we look into your word that you would um, speak to our hearts. And we just give you thanks, Lord, for all you're doing. Uh, we're glad to be a part of uh, what you're doing. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Joshua chapter 1, um, we're going to focus on that this morning. Take a look a bit at 3 and 4 if we have enough time. Um, Let's just start reading uh, Joshua chapter 1, first uh, four verses. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. So 
Joshua is being commissioned as the new leader of Israel. And it was really a new beginning for Israel. They had wandered 40 years in the desert. They were waiting to go to the promised land. And Joshua was going to lead them in to, uh, to take the promised land. Um, I heard a story years ago of a young pastor who came to church. And they you know, accepted him as their new pastor. And his first sermon was this sermon. This is what he preached. But the retired pastor was sitting in the congregation, and, and so when he said, Moses, my servant is dead, I think the retired pastor probably felt, well, I'm not dead, you know. And, you know, uh, Steve told me that uh, when he was, uh, uh, when is Josh coming to candidate? Last Sunday of April. Josh Fillmore. I'm really excited about this, by the way. I think it's tremendous. I know him. Uh, I just see the hand of God in it. He's a great young man. Uh, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to that day. But Steve was talking about having him come today. And he said, I said, what's the pass? He said, Joshua 1. I thought, oh, my gosh, don't let him preach that. <laughs> and so it worked out that he's not coming to the end of, the end of April. Um, and he couldn't come. And, and it was probably wise because, you know, Steve's not dead yet either. And uh, although he's getting there, he's getting, what's that saying? Um, Say in uh, Hebrews about Abraham, him, him as good as dead. <laughs> Not quite, but it's coming. Um, when I think of this time in history, I, I'm just kind of cognizant of all that's been going on. And, you know, Ed's passing and a, a new pastor coming to candidate. And, um, you know, it's 2019. It's a new stage in the life of our church. And, you know, next year, we're going we're to be in the 2020s. Like, I, I, that kind of hit me this week. I, like, I, I'm still living in the 60s and 70s. Like, not the 2020s. Like, I, I remember the roaring 20s. That was like 1920. My parents would talk about the roaring 20s, and here we are in the 2020s. But here we go. Like, we're, we're heading into the future. Uh, and maybe you're here today, and uh, you need a new beginning. And I'm really conscious of that. I, I was once like that, sitting in a congregation and didn't know much about God. And I, I just kind of was living an aimless wandering life uh, like a rolling stone with no direction home and maybe you're feeling like that today and i just want to tell you that god has got a land and a home that you've been looking for all your life and we're going to look at that today so we, we think about joshua and and you know one of the things i you know if you've been reading through uh, uh leviticus or exodus leviticus numbers deuteronomy uh, joshua's name comes up a lot and it says here and chapter 1 of Joshua, that he was Moses' assistant. And um, so he had a lot of encounters with God uh, and, you know, as Moses' helper. Uh, Joshua was born a slave in Egypt, just like Moses was. Um, he was called uh, Hashiach, which means salvation. And, uh, and Moses changed his name to Yehoshua or Joshua, meaning Yahweh is salvation or Jehovah is salvation. Um, he saw God's power demonstrated in the Passover when uh, God uh, protected all the firstborn of Israel and took all the firstborn of Egypt in death. He saw the power of God in the Exodus when God held back the waters and, and, and the whole nation walked through and, and then they were afraid because uh, Pharaoh and his uh, chariots were coming in behind them and the waters returned over and and all the chariot, uh, charioteers were drowned. He saw God's power at work. If we look at Exodus chapter 17, um, I guess uh, you're going to have to get your Bible out. Imagine. You got a Bible? How many, how many got a Bible here today? Bring your Bible. Don't leave your Bible home because stuff like this can happen. Um, chapter 17 of Exodus um, Verse 8, and Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. And so Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. And, uh, and so uh, tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. And so Joshua is the commander of the Lord's army, uh, of the armies of Israel. And he goes out and he's fighting with this uh, crowd of people called Amalek. And Joshua learned a lot that day. Joshua learned that the battle is the Lord. So he's out there fighting, and, and Moses is up on the hill praising the Lord. Lord, Lord, bless us, help us. And he's, he's, you know, Moses is standing in the gap between God and, and Israel's battle. And, then, and Joshua, they're winning. And then all of a sudden, they're losing. And, and Joshua looks up the hill, and he's like, Moses' hands are heavy. How, many, how long can you hold your hands up? 
Try it. Like I bet, I bet five minutes you'd just be wore out. And, and so the battle went good when Moses could lift up his hands to God. And then the battle went poorly when Moses got tired. And so Joshua saw how God worked. And he saw that, you know, Moses needed his arms supported by uh, a couple other guys so that Israel could win. And so Joshua learned something that it's, the battle is the Lord's. It's all about the Lord. It's not about how good a commander he was. It was about the power of the Lord. Um, when uh, Moses went up to uh, Mount Sinai, uh, verse uh, chapter 24, says verse, uh, verse 15, Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. And the glory of the Lord dwelled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of all the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And Joshua was with him. You know, the 70 elders were there, but they only went so far. Uh, Joshua went up with Moses, and Joshua also spent uh, 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain. What was that like? So Moses is receiving, you know, the next several chapters in Exodus is all about the, the revelation that God gave Moses, the, you know, the law of Moses and how he wanted things made for the, the tabernacle and, and all the regulations, and, and Joshua is just there, you know, witnessing that and a part of that. Then when they come down from the mountain... In chapter 32, um, they're coming down, and, and, and Moses is, uh, he's got the tablets of the testimony, the Ten Commandments in his hands. Verse 17, when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it's not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. And what they were doing was worshiping the golden calf. So there's Joshua up there with Moses worshiping the living God. 40 days and 40 nights, and when they come down, there's the people of Israel worshiping a golden calf. And so he, he, he understood how things worked. He understood how easy it was for the people to stray away from the Lord, and, and yet uh, you know, how real God was. So over in uh, chapter 33, we read about Moses had a tent of meeting, and he used to he pitched the tent outside the, the camp, and that's where you go meet with the Lord. And so whenever Moses would go out to meet with the Lord, the pillar the cloud would come down and come over the tent and everybody would stand and, and look because Moses was in the tent and the glory of God was in the tent. And God was speaking to Moses face to face. And then when Moses left, the glory went up and Moses went back and after a while his face shone because he was in the presence of the Lord so much. What does it say about Joshua? Um, verse 11, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent because Joshua was enthralled with God. He loved God. He, he couldn't get enough of God. He wanted more of him and more of him. And I, I think that's what, why he became uh, such an important person in the life of Israel and such a reliable servant of God. When Moses sent the 12 spies up, you know, the two of them were Joshua and Caleb, and they're the only two that brought back a good report. Uh, and they were the only two of the old generation allowed in the land. And I just love those two guys, Joshua and Caleb. It's the kind of old guy I want to be. I want to be like a Caleb or a Joshua, just faithful to the end. Um, then you get over to Deuteronomy chapter uh, 3, um, verse uh, 21. Um, you know, it talks about Moses getting Joshua ready to lead. Uh, I commanded Joshua at that time, your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. Og, um, that Steve mentioned last week, and, and uh, Sihon, I guess. Um, you know, and uh, so the Lord will do to all the kingdom into which you are crossing. You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. So Joshua, he was ready. He knew that, and, and, and he was encouraged by Moses to lead. And then you get over to chapter 31 of Deuteronomy. And um, Moses commissions uh, Joshua, um, verses 7 and 8 of chapter um, 
31, Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So Moses commissioned him in front of all the people. And then uh, a little farther in the chapter, the Lord commissions him. Uh, verse 23, the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. And that's sort of how the book of Deuteronomy winds up with uh, the death of Moses and the commissioning of Joshua. Now, this next portion, I can remember studying this with Ed. And, uh, you know, when I was down there, he said, you want to, he'd given me lots of books before. And he said, I want you to go through my library and take some books. So I, I took this one, Joshua. Uh, I don't know if you have any of Ed's books, but uh, he wasn't very neat. <laughs> you know, he's a country boy, and he, uh, he's got this, uh, when he underlines stuff, it's just a mess. And he got this really scrawly writing that you can hardly read, but... You know, Ed, Ed loved books, and I, I think it's really neat that I got this book from him to, to help me with this sermon today because uh, he loved, loved Warren Wearsby, and, he, and he, loved, he loved reading books. But this passage, I can remember, uh, it must have been Sunday school, we, we learned this and we memorized some of this passage. So I'm going to read you. I know we memorized, I think we all memorized verse 8. We could all, back those from back in the day, we could all repeat it in King James because that's how we memorized it. Verse uh, 5 in Joshua 1. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my service, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have that I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Man, I, of all the chapters in the Bible, maybe those verses have, have had, they've had such a big impact on me because I committed that to remember. I wanted to have a successful life. I wanted God to direct my life just as you do. And, and this burned into my heart. It's all about the word of God. The word of God has to be central to your life. You need to fill your mind uh, with, the, with God's word and, and live your life in the presence of God. Now, you may have kind of wondered, you know, maybe Joshua was hard of hearing because, or maybe he wasn't very quick to get it because over and over they kept telling him, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Don't forget to be strong and courageous. And so Moses drilled it into him and God drilled it into him because that's what was going to be required of him. Taking the promised land requires a lot of courage. Now, it did for them, and you know, he was leading an army, uh, a nation that was going to dispossess other nations of this land, which, of course, they still talk about today, right? And they say it wasn't right for Israel to take that land, but it's God's land. Do you know that? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so God gave Israel that land. So I don't know what your land looks like, your life. You know, I don't know if you feel like you're living in the promised land or you're just kind of looking over and wishing you could get to the promised land. That, that abundant life that people keep talking about uh, for Christians, uh, that, that kind of dream that you have that you could live the kind of life you want to live. Maybe you're, on, you're looking over. Uh, but it takes courage to follow the Lord. It takes courage because you've got three things that oppose you. The world, the world does not want you to follow Jesus Christ. 
and it will discourage you, dissuade you. It will uh, try to turn you aside. It will mock you, ridicule you, oppose you. And then there's the flesh, your own flesh, your own nature. You know, that's your biggest enemy. Do you know that? That's your biggest enemy. See, you know, Jesus already conquered the devil. Um, your biggest enemy is yourself a lot of times, right? You know, your, your big mouth, you know, the stupid things you say, the, the dumb things you do, the, the wrong decisions you make. That Like, I know, I, I'm, I, I live like that. Uh, it's my own flesh that gets in the way. Um, and then the devil, of course, will oppose you. So you've got the world, the flesh, and the devil kind of working against you, and God calling you forward. It takes strength and courage to follow. So verse 8 is really the center of this of this passage, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Uh, you shall uh, be careful to do according to all that is written therein. Um, meditating on it day and night, like it needed to be not just, you know, uh, the book that, you know, uh, sat on a shelf or even just the book that got opened in the morning, but Joshua had to govern according to the law of Moses. Jo this book had to, be, had to fill his mind if uh, God was going to be able to fill his life. It had to become integral to his thinking. I'm not sure, you know, you, you could probably name several sources of, uh, that inform your brain and inform your life. You know, you got what you learn from your family and, and what you learn in school um, and what you learn from your friends and what you learn from the culture and, uh, you know, maybe your favorite author or your favorite video game or your favorite sports team, or whatever it is. You've got all these things that inform you. And, and what God is saying is, I want to be the center of that. I want my information to be the center of your life. I want it to become integral to who you are, so that when you think, you think according to the way God thinks. When you make a decision, we make decisions according to the way God would have us decide. That's a battle. Well, you've got to really be purposeful about that. It's like trying to exercise your body. It's hard, isn't it? You know, ever since Glenda and I come home, we've been exercising. Because we get in that RV, like there's no room. You know, you exercise, and, you know, I, my hand would be in her face, and her foot would be in my mouth. And, I mean, it's just no room. Um, her foot's always in my mouth. Um, so we get home, we started exercising. And, and, of course, as soon as we get home, we get sick. <laughs> I've been sick for six months and get home and get sick. But anyway, but it takes work. You know, the first few nights we did, I don't know, eight, ten nights in a row, didn't we? Doing pretty good. And then it's like, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to do it. You know, and, and it's the same way with disfilling your mind to think uh, the, the thoughts of God. You know, when we were uh, with Ed and Linda in uh, Lakeland uh, in February, we went to church with them. And they go to the church in the mall. I didn't really know what it was. Have you been there, Peg? Did you guys go? It's a whole mall. It's like church in the Toro Mall. They own the whole mall. And so there's all kinds of nooks and crannies, and there's coffee shops, and it's pretty incredible. And I don't know, there's 10,000 people go there. It's just a big, big church. And they have a new pastor. Um, and he preached, preached a good message. The music was really lively. I was surprised. Because Ed and Linda are very old-fashioned. But uh, this is what he said. He said, when you come to Christ, you got a lot of Egypt left in you. Right? you got a lot of the old left in you. You've got a lot of the, the, the active sin nature working in you. You've got a lot of the flesh in you. You've got a lot of the world in you. And God's got to get that out of you if you're going to be any good to him. So, you know, I was thinking how that works. Well, um, when uh, Jesus said to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you. So what did, what did uh, Jesus do? Did he say, no, no, you're not sifting him. He's mine. No. He said, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead and sift him. But I got him. I got his back. But you can sift him. Just kind of like what he said to Job. Satan wanted Job. God said, okay. But there's a limit to what I'll let you do. And why would God do that? That's part of how God works. He's got to get that Egypt out of us. And he's got to sift us to do it. He's got to put us through trouble and adversity to do that. Um, Peter talked about it, uh, and Peter had, you know, pretty good first-hand experience. First Peter um, 1, 7, 1, 6, 
Uh, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. I'm sure that when Peter denied Jesus, it was the worst moment of his life. That was the worst weekend he ever had. He felt so, he felt so low, he couldn't even face God. Grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God's going to burn that stuff out of us. How does he do it? Adversity is one way. Adversity to purify us so that we'll realize and we'll get more of his word in us and so that his truth will permeate every part of us. Get that old stuff out so we can be dominated by the truth. Because you know, even when Joshua, with all that Joshua was, when you read through the book of Joshua, he made some mistakes. He made some mistakes. There's a couple of times he forgot to seek the Lord. And Israel had to pay a price for that. And then the third thing, and these are kind of like, you know, I, I, these are kind of typical requirements for leadership. You want a leader to be strong and courageous. You, you want a, your, uh, your pastor to, to make the word of God integral to his thinking. And, and the third thing, don't fear. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what you can't understand or what seems too hard. That's not easy. I, we get tested on that regularly. Obey the living God who is with you. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And that's the same promise that Jesus gave. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, when we were on our trip, and, and some people had asked, you know, how would you characterize your trip? And, and, you know, early on, we kind of felt like it was the cloud by day and the fire by night. We just felt surrounded by the presence of God. We would camp out in the middle of nowhere in the desert with nobody else. And there'd be, you know, warning signs up, but, you know, you might not want to camp here. But there we were. We didn't know we were going to be alone. So we were all alone. And uh, um, I remember young Glenda being a little nervous. And I said, well, listen, we prayed. We prayed that God would be like us in the cloud by day and the fire by night. So I slept soundly. I think she slept better the second night. At least she slept too good the first night. But it's just a sense of, you know, we decided that we were just going to trust God to look out for us. You know, that old uh, RV of mine, like I was kind of worried. There's some big mountains. And I thought, this thing's going to die. <laughs> just laboring up the mountains. And, but, you know, we just, okay, God, you know, you, you, uh, you take us... You take us up. We just have the sense of God's presence. It's been that way, you know, since we, we lost our daughter. Like, it's the presence of God. That's what makes the difference. That's the only way you get through life is the presence of God. He's really with us. It's not like some kind of, oh, great notion or some fanciful thing. Or, oh, I wish he was with us. He really is with us. And you can count on it. That's what I, you build your life on as a follower of Christ. So let's um, read the rest of chapter 1. Now, you know, Joshua is getting commissioned by God. And now uh, maybe he's in the tent, you know, and maybe the glory's there. And, and then he's going out and he's going to take command. He's going to take the reign of leadership. Joshua commanded the officers of the people. Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people. Prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, who wanted the eastern lands, east of Jordan, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that the Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and so possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go, just as we obeyed Moses in all things. 
so we will obey you. I think they had kind of a limited sense of their own obedience. I read that and I'm thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, what about all those guys that got killed at the, uh, the Baal of Peor, right? But uh, I guess maybe these guys obeyed because they were still alive. Um, anyway, uh, only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Just in case you forgot, we need you to be strong and courageous. And what I love about this passage is that the people of God you know, pledged their loyalty to the new leader. Like Moses was a larger-than-life figure. He was huge. I mean, he was doing miracles. Nobody worked miracles like Moses till Jesus came along. Nobody taught uh, like anybody else until Jesus came along. Nobody got such direct revelation from God until Jesus came along. So he is just the epitome of the Old Testament saint, of the prophet, of the teacher. And now, you know, this new guy comes along and, 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 and they're called to pledge their loyalty to him because they believe that God supplied the leader. And they needed him to be strong and courageous. I, I read a quote in here uh, that Wearsby talks about. Um, and this is from Wearsby's own experience when he had uh, uh, taken over the leadership of Back to the Bible. Some years ago, he, he had succeeded Theodore Epp, who was, was he the founder of Back to the Bible? I believe he might have been. So, I mean, he was fulfilling uh, big shoes. Uh, and he says this, when you feel like a midget taking the place of a giant, you appreciate all the encouragement God sends your way. What a new leader needs is not advice, but encouragement. To encourage literally means to put heart into. Remember that. A new leader needs encouragement. He's already gotten all the advice he can handle. He's been drilled into him. You go to Bible college and get it drilled into you, and you go through uh, church ministry experience and, you know, uh, working under a, a, a lead pastor, and he's drilled in India, and he's drilled. And so what does he need? He needs encouragement so he can put that good advice into practice. Now, I've got enough time To go through chapters 3 and 4, I was thinking, man, that's a big passage, Joshua 1, 3, and 4. But I just want to hit on a couple of highlights of um, chapter 3 and 4. Verse 7 of chapter 3. So, you know, Joshua has got the commissioning. He goes out to the people and says, we're with you, bud. Just be strong and courageous. Now he's got a lead. Now the rubber meets the road. What's he going to do? And so this is what God does for him. Verse 7, chapter 3, The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Because, you know, Joshua, he's kind of been there. He's been right beside Moses the whole way. He's seen Moses lead Moses step out and do crazy things. You know, and, and, and God supporting him and God working through him. But now he's got to do that. Wow. You know, how can you measure up to a Moses? I don't care who you are. And, and so God encouraged me. He said, look, today I'm going to make you a leader. I, you're, going to, you're going to say and I'm going to do. And stuff's going to happen. I can remember uh, back in the day. And I was talking with Steve. I couldn't remember what year it was, but I know it was before Steve went to Bible college. And um, Ed was really good at giving us young guys opportunity to teach and to preach. And that's what he believed in was, to, you know, making disciples and equipping others, you know, who go teach others also. So Steve was preaching over in the other building. I think it was, he figured, 1983. And um, he's preaching, and Steve was pretty much on fire those days. He's a little calmer now, but he was pretty rabid rabbit dog back then, and uh, so uh, he's preaching, and um, I remember sitting there, and then he gave an invitation, and his dad went forward, accepted Christ. I'll never forget that. I don't know what it was like for him, but it was 
big for me was his father. Father, how old is he, Steve? Seventy? Sixty-seven. He's an older man. He came to Christ. And that did something that day. I'm sure it did something for Steve. But for those of us who Ed said later, I think God wants to give the pastoral ministry here to Steve, we kind of knew it. It was kind of shown to us that because God had exalted Steve's preaching that day and his ministry. And that's what God does. Um, he, he works like that. You know, I was talking to Steve at Christmas time, and, and uh, I asked him how Alex and April are doing. You know what he said? He said, they're doing great. They're doing great at ministry. And, and I, I'm just going to say it publicly because they need to hear it, and you need to hear it. It's just good to be confirmed. That's how God encourages people. Um, you know, you talk about uh, filling a new leader's shoes. And I, I thought, well, Steve didn't have to fill Ed's shoes. He had to fill his shoulders. Because Ed was built like a bear. Kind of like a middle linebacker. His shoulders like this wide. And even when we saw him in February, you know, he's, he's smaller. But he's still got these big shoulders. So Steve had big shoulders to fill. Not easy. Not easy doing that. And Steve and I often talked about, you know, Ed's ministry. And, and we commented, he was just so big. He was just kind of larger than life. And he really wasn't that big, but he just had a presence about him that wasn't, uh, was a hard act to follow. So I was thinking, you know, do you think Steve will be a hard act to follow? Now, I'm not, you know, trying to rush you out the door, brother. <laughs> um, you're not even 60 yet, but you know the plan that the, the, the new pastor, he comes as an associate pastor, and Lord willing, he'll be the future lead pastor down the road. Uh, you know, whether it's five years down the road or whatever year down the road, uh, Steve will be a hard act to follow. And we, I think this is the best way to bring in a new leader. It's kind of like Joshua alongside Moses. It's, it's a way for this new pastor to be prepared. We think it's the best way for our church to, to, to forge ahead. But it won't be easy succeeding somebody who will be in this ministry for probably 35 years or more. <laughs> you better pray for this young fellow. He's got to... He's got not an easy task ahead of him. But, you know, a lot of that isn't on him. A lot of it is on us, right? It's up to us to encourage him. Um, one, one quick thing about chapter 4, um, Joshua 4. So the Lord said, I want you to go into the, uh, this is while the, the Jordan River is kind of piled up in a heap and the, the ground's dry. He said, I want you to go in and get out 12 stones and I want you to build one for each tribe and build a monument to what I did here today. Um, and the reason is this. Um, well, I'll read from verse 5. Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of Jordan, of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And so, you know, when you would go on a holiday as, uh, you know, somebody from the land of Ephraim, you take your kid down to the Jordan River and say, this is where our forefathers were delivered by God across the river. And because and, and, the kid would say, what's this pile of stones mean? What's this monument for? Well, that's what monuments are for, right? Monuments are so you would stop and read and uh, it would tell you something about what happened there years ago. When Glenn and I traveled, we, we stopped at a lot of monuments. I find them really interesting. We stopped at the one at Scott's Bluff, Arizona, or at Nebraska. And, and you know, I was wondering what it was, what, why it was such a, an important landmark. And it was an important landmark because you could see it for, I don't know, hundreds of miles maybe. Like, it's just this big rock edifice. And, and they said, when you pass by that, you're, going on, you're on the right trail. And so that was the, what they called the Scott's Bluff, and Chimney Rock was just nearby. Um, it, these things are important to us. They're kind of signposts. Uh, we don't tend to do that, uh, put up memorials for people today, and I understand the reasons for that. But I think we might benefit from something. I don't know what it would be. 
to commemorate our journey as a local church. Because, you know, it's easy. I can stand up here and say, well, I was here back in 1981, and, and, you know, when Ed was here and I came to the Lord, and I can tell you all that history. But the day will come when there will be nobody alive. Well, Clint. Clint will be around. <laughs> Clint's got another 100 years in him. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, there's the, the people who were here in the past gradually disappear. Either they, you know, they, they uh, move elsewhere or the Lord takes them home. Um, but it's, I think it's important for younger people to understand the history of a church and, and where a people have been. And, and that's something that I think our culture has kind of lost in general. And maybe the church is losing in general. So the church just kind of wallows around in a way. I'm not talking about this church, but just the church in general, like a, a cruise ship in a storm. You ever see a movie or a video of a cruise ship in a storm? Makes you not want to ever go on a cruise. Um, there's just something about something that's anchored in history and that has history to share that I think is important because God commanded it here, and maybe we could take a lesson from it, a witness to how God leads his people. Uh, just to wrap this up, so it's pretty good, eh? 11.58, and I'm wrapping up. Of course, the wrap-up could take a while. First of all, Joshua. Joshua is a type, a picture of Jesus Christ. And, you know, the Hebrew name for, for uh, Jesus is Joshua. It's the same name, okay? Uh, Joshua is the Hebrew form of Jesus. So let me just say that you are not Joshua, and I am not Joshua. Who's Joshua? Jesus is Joshua. That's who we follow, okay? That's who we follow. Um, let me just, I don't know, I'm trying to picture this or paint this picture. What it means to follow. For, for, for Joshua, it was the living God. That's one of the terms that, that the Hebrews use for God. The living God. He's just not the God that's up there somewhere for God all about us. He's the living God. He's alive. And the central part of the gospel we preach is he's the living Christ. He's the resurrected Lord. And so it's not just a Sunday presence. You don't just come in here and we talk about Jesus and then you go home and forget about Jesus the rest of the week. At least I hope you don't. It's not just a devotional presence where you get out your Bible in the morning and read about Jesus. Then you go about your day and you forget all about him. He's the living Christ. He's to be the presence always. We're to have his presence active and leading us hour by hour, moment by moment. Just a constant awareness that takes discipline in thinking because I'm going to tell you, that is the ultimate reality. The ultimate reality is not what you're doing or what you're thinking. It's the presence of God in your life. That's the ultimate reality because the day will come when that will be the only reality that will be in front of you when you stand before the living God someday. Nothing else will matter. And so nothing else should matter as much today. So maybe... You do need a new beginning. I've been a Christian since uh, going on 38 years. And I've got to tell you, Jesus Christ is the master of new beginnings. And I've had a lot of new beginnings. I had a new beginning when I came to Christ, and he changed my life. And I've had a lot of new beginnings since then. Whether it's been going to different churches or, or, or deaths in the family or whatever it is, when God, when life just kind of brings you up short, and it's like, what are you going to do? I'm going to hang on to God. I'm going to cling to him because he's the living God and he's in my life and I can trust him with what I don't understand. The second takeaway, and if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your savior, you should talk to somebody about it. You could talk to me, you could talk to Pastor Steve, you could talk to somebody sitting beside you. Or if you're not experiencing the kind of life that God wants for you. You know, Jesus said, I, I give them life and life abundantly. That means a lot. It doesn't mean you have a lot of stuff. It just means you have a lot of life. A lot of him. And maybe you, you'd like, maybe you should talk to somebody about that. Maybe there's a Christian you admire in the congregation. And, and, and you would like to be where they are. You should go and ask them about that. How they got there. You might be surprised how... Uh, how wise they are, and what they could tell you. The second thing is this. We can trust the Lord to supply us with godly leaders as we as the church obey his word and journey boldly into the future. We can trust God. That's why I'm excited about Josh coming. I, I don't want to crown him pastor yet, but 
I mean, it's just a no-brainer. He grew up down the road. I can remember, you know, pick, we drive, pick up uh, Wendy, Ed and Linda's daughter, and drop her off at the Fillmore's to, to go to the Christian school with, with the Fillmore kids. And now a grandson has come to candidate here. It's like, God, that's just, that's how you work. <laughs> it's, it's just incredible to me. We can trust the Lord to supply us. And then the third thing is this, and I, I just want to read a, a, another quote. As you look at your life and the life of the church where you fellowship, do you see yourself and your fellow believers wandering the wilderness or conquering in the promised land? In the wilderness, the Jews were a complaining people. But in Canaan, they were a conquering people. In the wilderness, Israel kept looking back, yearning for what they had in Egypt. But in the promised land, they looked forward to conquering the enemy and claiming their rest and their riches. The wilderness march was an experience of delay, defeat, and death. But their experience in Canaan was one of life, power, and victory. I'd have to say that of all the things that Ed taught us as, as a church, it was that. Living in the promised land, taking hold of the land, taking hold of the life. And I believe that our church is a testimony to living in the promised land. I really do. We're not perfect, but uh, we follow the one who is perfect. Now let's stand for prayer. Father, thank you for uh, your word today. I thank you, Lord, that uh, it's the same word. The same word I first heard. It's the word that convicts us of sin and calls us to submission to the living Christ and gives birth to new spiritual life in us. It gives us wisdom for the journey. I just thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for Ed and his memory, his, uh, all that he means, Lord, to our church and to us, his faithfulness. And uh, just thank you, Lord. Uh, I'm sure he's enjoying things we can't even imagine today. And I thank you for Steve, Lord, my friend. Um, pray your blessing on him, Lord. And pray for Alex, Lord, you know, their leaders that you would bless them and encourage them today. And I pray for Josh as he comes and preaches in a month's time, Lord, that you would give him uh, such a filling of the Spirit that uh, we would just know, Lord, uh, what you have for him. Um, Lord, if there's anybody here today who needs a shot of life, God, I pray that you would work in their hearts. And Lord, uh, for those of us who have been following you a long time, Lord, uh, help us to keep our shoulder to the plow. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.